Thanks for downloading this podcast. podcast. It's for personal use only and must not be rebroadcast, reproduced or used in any form without permission. Tell your friends they can get their own copy by searching iTunes for Radio Le Mans or visiting RadioLeMans.com. The world's longest-running motorsport magazine show, Midweek Motorsport. News, features, special guests and analysis from the experts. Formula One, sports car and endurance racing, rallying, touring cars and bikes. If it has wheels and an engine and they keep score, it's on Midweek Motorsport. Good evening, everybody, and welcome along. It is just after uh, 8 o'clock in the UK. A bit overcast, but been a generally uh, reasonable day here this evening uh, in the middle of the UK. It is Series 15, Episode 23, interestingly enough. We're normally on around about 24 here, and we would normally be at Le Mans and doing this at lunchtime, getting ready for qualifying at this time of night, or at least some kind of practice session, but no Lamont this week, of course. But we will have some live full metal, as Bruce calls it, racing this weekend. More of that uh, later on this afternoon, or this evening, uh, should I say. Uh, also, tonight we have uh, some. Uh, we have some guests. Uh, so, uh, Tim Gray, on a packed show tonight, we have what? On a packed show tonight, we have all the usual features uh, and uh, our usual guests as well, including Shay Adam and Nick Damon, and also uh, Jeremy Shaw will be joining us. Plus, we have uh, a big interview and another interview on the same subject. Uh, at Specutainment, if you would like to get in touch with me uh, this evening or in touch with us. Uh, Chris Humphrey says it's Wednesday. I should be at Le Mans. I should be trackside watching Le Mans Cup Road to Le Mans. Uh, but that's going to have to wait until uh, the uh, it, until September. Tuning in for my first ever live show this week. Looking forward to IndyCar updates from Jeremy. 24-hour series from Portimao. Uh, I hear there's an anniversary. Yes, we've had a lovely anniversary day today, although I've been quite uh, busy. Uh, Chris Suku's tuned in tonight, Serafina Chu. The lockdown's been very good for keeping me tuning in regularly. Uh, started a new part-time job at a bike shop, says Slow Past. Happy uh, to listen to the podcast later on. Uh, thank goodness we all slept in on the West Coast, listening for the green flag to drop, says Jesse. Daniel Layslip, uh, no EFAs listening in a June thunderstorm in Wisconsin. Concerned about the state of GTE going forward without Porsche mm. uh, and more of that in our big interview tonight Pascal Lezin- Le- Zulinden uh, who's the head of Porsche GT Works Motorsport will join us just after 9 o'clock uh, Andy Blackmore's listening at the first part of the show tonight between homeschooling uh, and IMSA iRacing skins very much a change from the usual LM24 spotted guide Matt's listening for the first time in a long while heck a few weeks working the nights in the local Waitrose thank you for your service Matt Thank you so much for working so hard and keeping us all uh, stuffed up. Uh, and hello to Neil Gardner uh, and to Dave. How do I find Midweek Motorsport live tonight? Oh, right, okay. Um, well, I can't talk to you if um, 
you're not listening live. Uh, but it's dead easy, by the way. Somebody tell uh, Dave, who is Little Man T16, uh, just go to radio-your.co.uk and click the Listen Live button. Uh, top story tonight is what? All the latest motorsport news from around the world. Midweek Motorsport. Well, we did have some live racing at the weekend, and it was the proper start of the NTT IndyCar Series. And starting for the first time on an oval, uh, then a road course for, a, well, I don't know, a very long time. I'll tell you he'll know. Jeremy Shaw, who joins us on the line from California. Hello, Jeremy. How are you? I'm very, very well indeed, uh, John. Thank you very much. Yes, indeed it was. Wasn't it good to have some proper motor racing for a change? Uh, yeah, yes, it was. And... Do you know what? I wasn't sure how I'd feel about the roll off the truck, do a bit of practice and then go racing, fellas. It kind of, it, it, it had almost the feel of a clubby about it, a club race. And I, I don't mean that in a bad way. It was like, right, guys, you're going to have to be good and drive what you've got. And, and I thought that actually worked quite well. It did. I mean, you know, a, a few of the teams, a few of the rookies in particular, had done a, done a few laps around there. Uh, earlier in the year before the before the lockdown just before the lockdown but uh, other than that uh, it was uh, everybody was going in there very very cold indeed so i thought yeah, all things considered uh, everybody did quite well and it was it certainly wasn't the best race they've ever had in texas but it was certainly interesting a couple of different sporting regulations that had to be employed. Firestone didn't quite have the right mix of tyres there. So that brought in this 35-lap maximum on on green flag, which I kind of I kind of understood, and, that, and that's fine. I understand, as you've got to be you've got to be safe there. I thought people were were quite conservative, though. There could have been a bit more tactics played there and it never got explained whether you had to fuel every time you came in as well no you could do whatever you like i think in terms of the fuel and the tire situation it was interesting wasn't it and you, you thought well you, it's slightly odd that fast wasn't able to come in there that, with the tires that they kind of wanted but the, the, i know they worked tr- really hard to try and get enough tires of what they thought was the right tire but they didn't have enough time to do that because let's not forget since the cars raced there last time we've got the aero screen which is a good bit more weight and a good bit more weight forward balance on the cars. Now, the right front is always going to be hard worked at Texas Motor Speedway with the, with the banking. So they just didn't have enough data to, to let the teams have a free reign. Now, what they ended up doing last year, they actually took two compounds of tyres to Texas, the, the faster engineers did. And then they, they decided, OK, we're going to run this one. So th- they were hoping to run the other one. It was kind of... The, the one they ran this weekend was what was kind of the option tyre from last year, which they ended up not running. So they had plenty of tyres, but they didn't have the data on running with the aero screen. Like I say, to be fully confident, they could run the full full distance. So that's why they put that 35-lap maximum on, on each stint. And it, it worked out rather well. It was very interesting to see. I've, I've spoken to a few people after the race, and not many people had any problems at all with the tyres. Penske, however, did. Well, they had problems with vibrations at Texas last year. Um, so, uh, you know, the, the, the general thinking is it must be something to do with the setup they, they were running there because hardly anybody else had, had any problems at all, certainly nothing significant. Um, so that was that was all rather interesting, wasn't it? But no, I think as far as the, the strategy is concerned, you could do you could put on you could take fuel or not. It was about 
a little bit over half the way through what would what would have been a regular fuel stint. Last year they were running between sixty, I think, and sixty-five laps. Mm. So this year, this time they were they were mandated you had to supposed to run no more than thirty-five. Although the first stint of fuel ran thirty-six, which didn't go down well in in certain quarters. But <laughs> that's another story. I just felt, as I say, there was an opportunity, particularly when there was yellow flags, for people to to come in, stick a new set of tyres on, and therefore the yellow laps, any remainder of that yellow wouldn't have counted. I suppose nobody wanted to run super heavy. You only wanted to run with the amount of fuel to get your 35, 36, 37 laps if there was a yellow. I, I, I understand that. There was a maximum of how many sets of tyres that you could use over... I was going to say over the meeting, but over the day, of course, yes. uh, as well. And there were one or two people uh, who saved. I, I did actually really quite enjoy what was going on. But what you ca- what you have to say is that Scott Dixon uh, and Chip Ganassi for his car, the nine car uh, with the Honda engine, were absolutely top notch all the way through that race. You can talk about traffic, you can talk about getting pulled back under the full course yellows, but frankly, that was the car to beat. The two, the two Ganassi cars, yes. Uh, the number yes, 10 car as well, of course, with Felix Rosenquist. Yeah, they were, they, they had everybody covered. It was very interesting. Uh, certainly in the practice session, it looks like, looked like Honda perhaps had the, uh, had the advantage, at least early on. But then the Chevy teams came back and it, it didn't seem to be much to choose between the Chevy or the Honda teams, particularly when it came down to the race time, except for the Chip Ganassi racing. But uh, yeah, you're right. They, they had everything nailed down perfectly. They did a really, really good job. And that little engineering restructure that they had there over the winter clearly uh, paid dividends. Yeah, it's often, isn't it, not, not a good thing to start changing what has been a winning combination. And, and Scott Dixon... And his engineering team at Chip Ganassi have been very, very successful. No, I mean, all they've really done is, is, is augment the team. I mean, they brought in the third, the third car for this season for, for Marcus Ericsson. Um, and, the, you know, they've strengthened everything there. The, you know, the, the other two, you know, Dixon's been there forever. Uh, and uh, and Rosenquist, he's got a, a year of experience under his belt now. So, you know, they, they were ready loaded for bear before the start of the season add Ericsson uh, add some more depth to the engineering and you know the, the, the writing was on the wall for the other teams and they carried through on their promise you mentioned Felix Rosenquist who was I mean there was a solid one two there for Chip Ganassi and getting towards the end of the race Felix you know yeah he did make a little mistake as he was going through lap traffic lap traffic was an issue because it became very quickly a one groove track and, and that is exactly why john that there wasn't those strategic options yes good point. Uh, because because you, you couldn't afford to lose track position good point uh, all the way through the race so that was that brings back to your earlier point but sorry to interrupt no no yes, that, that's that's a very good <laughs> point it was actually i mean scott dixon was one of the few people who was prepared to go around the outside into turn one he was absolutely unbelievable there uh, and when <laughs> felix tried to do it he ended he ended up in the wall with a, a second place second place beckoning but you've got to say Rosenquist was very very impressive right up to the point when he when he hit the wall well and and uh, yes no question about it but he was actually pretty impressive after he hit the wall as well let's see wasn't he because uh, did you see if you saw the interview after the race I mean he just put his hand up he wasn't he, he could easily have blamed 
James Hinchcliffe there, who, who definitely drifted up in the middle of the corner and put Felix Rosenquist wider than he needed or, or wanted to be. But no, you know, it's yeah, he made a decision. They, I could have tucked him behind him. Uh, he handled that magnificently, I thought. It was really impressive. And uh, and I think that just shows you know, he's, he's, he's going to be a strong contender all the way through the season. If we go back to the beginning of the race, there were one or two problems. ECU problems, it, it seems. Yeah. For a few of the Honda runners, Graham Rahal didn't get to the start line. Alexander Rossi uh, had problems uh, as well. Yeah, and Honda Ray as well. Very strange. Very strange. I, I, I'm, I'm not quite sure what the... Uh why they had all those problems all of a sudden is that i think they yeah they just they just kind of got, got caught out by the uh the new regulations were brought in because of the covid19 just reducing the number of people that generally speaking there's a honda engineer with the car every time it's fired up well with the uh, restrictions they brought in the place the, the honda engineer was behind the wall rather than with the car so uh he normally he can just plug it in there um, and reset the uh, the calibration, and, and and it'll fire right up again. Well, that wasn't that that option wasn't there, so it was it was really really unfortunate for those for those few teams, and it cost them. You know, thankfully, uh, Hunter Ray was able to come back absolutely superbly, and was a little bit unlucky not not to finish higher than eighth. Uh, and then for the other guys, Ray Hall, you know, he the, that that team they, they shot themselves in the foot with another couple of problems during the race as well. Otherwise, Graham would probably be in, in contention. And the same for uh, Rossi as well. So, you know, they ended up off the lead lap, those those last two, Rossi and, and Hinchcliffe. But it, if they hadn't had other problems, they would have been in the mix. I want to pick out a few performances that I thought worthy. Jack Harvey finished a, a lap off the lead in 16th, but literally had not turned a wheel on that track before he got there that day. He wasn't necessarily the quickest guy out there, not by any stretch of the imagination. He kept it on the island and he got quick. I was watching these lap times. He got quicker, kept out of trouble. And, and I thought that was actually quite a mature drive from Jack. Excellent performance by Jack Harvey. I mean, he really struggled through the practice, struggled in qualifying, was was well off the pace. You know, he, he was three or four miles an hour down, I think, uh, up until the race. Beginning of the race, it you know, took him another while to get going, and then he figured it out. And the, the light switch came on, and after that, you know, the team got him some track position. He went down, lap down, they got that lap back, and then he got good track position, and he was running as, as well as anybody. Uh, yeah, you're absolutely right. I was watching his lap times as well, and yeah, there were times when yeah, most of the race that the leads were doing sort of two or eights, two or nines around about there, and he was right on that same pace yeah. as well. He then he then lost a lap, and at that stage he was running, I think, about fourth on the road. He was with a whole train of cars, and he wasn't necessarily holding up that no, train of cars either. So uh, no, you're right. He 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 learned an awful lot on that uh, on that one day in Texas. Inside the top 10 finish for Oliver Askew. That was a cracking finish for Oliver in the 7 Chevrolet. Brilliant job. I thought he did absolutely superbly well. I mean, he just went in there. He just wanted to finish, uh, get some miles under his belt, get some experience under his belt. A top 10 finish would have been perfect. Uh, and he came away with a ninth. And to tell you what, it could have been a good bit better than that, yes. in actual fact, because uh, I was uh, I was watching the race. And in, in the final stages, he was, he was trapped behind... Colton Herter and I think it was Hunter Ray and I was saying look why not bring him in bring him in early for that final pit stop get onto fresh tyres and he will leapfrog those two and he'll be gone yeah yeah they just third on the side of caution uh, which is exactly what the team should have done in any case so I thought it was a really good performance and could have been that 
if he'd made the pit stop, he would have come out in traffic traffic and not been able to make up that ground. But yeah. um, I don't know. That was conjecture. But certainly, uh, and if we go back to what we were talking about early on with the two leaders, you right. remember in that final pit stop that Felix Rosenquist came in a couple of laps before Scott Dixon. And he was right with Dixon at that stage. And, and he was hoping to be able to leapfrog Dixie and take the lead, you know, take advantage of the fresh tyres at that final pit stop. Dixon his team wanted him to pit, but they couldn't because if he'd have come into the pits, he would have been in a whole stack of traffic. Yeah. And uh, Rosenquist would have been would have been gone. So that's why they stayed out a couple of laps longer. To, uh, and he, because of that, Rosenquist was stuck in the traffic and Dixon was able to get out ahead of him and then he went on to win the race. But it was, it was again, that track position factor was a big one during the race. We mentioned Ryan Hunter rain eight seventh was Colton Herter who had a decent. He was run. a bit under the radar. Yeah, he yeah, he had a quiet, spin, quiet race, but did the but but Connor Daly sixth position. Jeremy, he's got a full season this year. Although he's got he's doing the, the sort of Dario Franchetti thing and wearing a different race suit every week. Uh, and in fact, different teams as well for Connor. That will be a massive confidence boost for Connor and for the Carlin team too because they they've really struggled. Uh, haven't they? So that was a really, really good performance by team, by driver, by everyone. Connor, I think he he had a run at being perhaps even as high as fourth in the closing stages, and he kind of got himself shuffled out a little bit. But yeah, great performance by Connor Daly and that Carlin team. Ed Carpenter had an issue in practice, came back to fifth. Zach Veach fourth position, and we should say Ed's only doing the the ovals this year. Zach Veach fourth. I think they'll be pleased with that. Very much so, yeah. I mean, you know, Carpenter, that, that was a really good performance by him because it was a, it was a, a weekend to forget or a day to forget for the mm-hmm. team with, uh, unfortunately, Renus Fike just kind of getting ahead of himself there and having not, not one crash but two during the, uh, during the day. That, that did not go down well. But, uh, but Ed salvaged that. And, Ed, yeah, Zach Veach, Zach Veach was the quickest Andretti driver all day long. Yeah. Uh, and uh, you know, after a, a, a very disappointing season in 2019 for Zach, after a promising run the year before, that was a really, really good uh, effort by Zach. And you know, he was able to run with the leaders for much of the distance, certainly in terms of pace, uh, to, to come away with his equaling his best ever finish in the uh, NTT IndyCar Series. It was a really good start to Zach Beach's season. Now, we, we mentioned the problems of Penske with uh, the right rear vibration and yet third Joseph Newgarden defending champion in the series second Simon Pagenaud I don't think given the day that they had had they'd have been too disappointed with that because they were really struggling three four five laps into a new tyre run yeah very strange that. And, and, and again I, I that th- that was nothing to do, I believe, with faster, and that was something to do with the, with the setup they had on the cars, uh, because uh, they had a, they had vib- they were complaining vibrations last time at Texas, and they had the same again here. But they certainly had good pace. You know, Joseph was on the pole, and uh, those two, you know, they were both delighted after the race to finish where they did, because it could have been so much worse than that. As competitive as it was, they were fortunate they had the track position, mm. and they were quick enough to be able to to maintain those good finishing positions as well. I thought it was a good start. It gets us all back in into the groove, and there was a bit of a buzz around what's going on. No fans in the stand, but you know what? It worked for me. Yeah, no question about it. Yeah, I was I was a little bit disappointed. I would have thought that uh, you know Texas Texas Motor Speedway is a big place. Um, I was a little bit disappointed they didn't they couldn't have come up with some sort of social distancing measures to to get some fans there. But uh, but yeah, I certainly understand why they didn't. 
Um, and it was, you know, it was just great to see some some race cars on the track again. And uh, and I think for IndyCar, you know, having that, you know, they they dabbled the toe in the water with some of their sim races, which didn't exactly come themselves to the glory with. <laughs> so this was, I think, was a really good comeback, and and it gets IndyCar racing back on the map again. And of course, it was on NBC, big NBC, as well on Saturday night, and the, the viewership numbers were were, were pretty good. Um, and Bigger than anything other than Indianapolis, uh, other than the 500. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, exactly. that, that tells you all you need to know. People want to see live sport, not necessarily motor racing fans, just sports fans. They want to see live sport, Jeremy. They do, and and it was a, you know it was a, it was a good race. It wasn't a great race, but it's certainly a good race. And I thought the commentary team did a really good job. I thought NBC did a good job with their coverage as well. And so uh, I think it was a, a definitely a plus for the for NTT IndyCar series in, in in particular and motor racing in general. It's good to hear the noise. It's a shame we couldn't smell it, um, but you know I'll I'll take it. I'll take it. Jeremy, thanks for joining us, and seem to be back underway now. So hurrah! <laughs> Hurrah indeed, yeah, so exciting and it's a few weeks before they're back in action again but that'll give them a chance to regroup and, and come back stronger at Indianapolis next time out on the road course Thank you Jeremy uh, well, Nick Damon joined us uh, as well tonight, good evening Nick Good evening Tim, good evening John good evening everybody uh, Did you watch the race Nick? Yes the following morning Not live I did it no. twice, I watched it live I uh, fell asleep, woke up, <laughs> fell asleep, woke up. And frankly, it was much better uh, watching it in one go. I replayed the timing as well, which made it more, far more sense. What you, um, did you watch uh, qualifying and practice as well? Of course. No, I, I just saved myself for the race. Uh, uh, what were your impressions then, Nick? Uh, well, I think, think yeah, I think I, I, I'd echo a lot of what Jeremy said. It was great seeing the cars going. It was, it was a, you know, it was a, a good opening race. It wasn't a great race, but it was good to see the cars going round. Um, Rosenquist made a silly mistake. It didn't help that Texas Motor Speedway had that uh, huge black groove of NASCAR traction compound that didn't work with the Indy cars. Um, a classic mismatch of tyres between two series, which, which is what made it a one groove impossible to overtake race but that's just one of those things and it's just unlucky um yeah so okay the race is okay i must say i think the cars look awful um they the whatever that at the air screen just makes me like an unfinished submarine or a, or a half-baked tank it's terrible i mean people who thought the halo was bad that is awful just get a whole hog and make them a closed top and put doors on them because there's no point there's no point if you have that much perspex and metal around them that's 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 not an open top car it's not an open top car at all anymore it looks to me, Nick, to be honest, like uh, an LMP2 car without the front fenders on. Yeah, but exactly. it looks I mean, unbalanced. I... It looks unbalanced with the screen on and no front fenders. I know what you mean, but it's safety, mate. So you know. Yeah, but halo safety, and I, yeah, I don't want to say something unpopular, but I'm not overly. Sure. I, I I don't actually agree with halo or the aero screen, but carry on because I'm out of step. Uh, Jeremy mentioned that Ed Carpenter had some problems. Uh, one of those was his teammate. Really? Did you uh, hear what Ed had to say about uh, Renus VK uh, after the race? What? Well, the guy who crashed twice in what? Well, crashed in practice and then crashed again. Uh, he, he's quite expensive, isn't he, for a nineteen-year-old Dutchman? Well, there is that. Yes. Uh, Ed Ed was saying. Uh, he needs to listen to what I'm telling him about how to drive these things. Yes. Well, obviously, he must have seen something to sign him up, so... Have you, Czech, I haven't perhaps. heard of him. Have you, have, you, have you heard of him before? Yes, he's very yes. good. 
Really? What's he done? We've talked about him quite a lot on this program. Really? Okay. Well, I, you know, as you know, I, uh, I live in my bubble, which is now fully approved. A <laughs> uh, funny thing that uh, I noticed from his crash in the race, um, when the cars came to rest, Alex Palo, when he was trying to get out, is obviously so used to climbing out the right-hand side of his car, but because it was butted up against the safer barrier, he couldn't get out the right but he also felt like he couldn't get out the left, so he turned around 180 degrees so that he was facing backwards and then climbed out what was then his right. Came out the conning tower, you mean? So I don't know whether that's superstition or just force of habit. I think oh, he had a massive accident on Oval. You, you excuse anything, God. Yeah, I mean, he, must have, he was very unlucky. I mean, he was just completely innocent bystander from uh, someone who just lost the car um, as can happen you know? especially when you haven't got much experience and you're pushing too hard uh, in fairness I thought Reynis was uh, more at fault for the one in the race um, he'd had no practice in the first one alright yeah okay he had a shunt but he wasn't the only person who did that in fact didn't his team owner have a shunt as well um, I was at Snort with Sato um, had a shunt as well, didn't he? They didn't get that car back together. Um, uh, but a number of people had spins, particularly people hadn't driven there before. In the race, I think he'd caught it, but then he got back on the power too early and he was up in that uh, grip patch that Nick I was talking about. If Paolo hadn't been there, he'd have saved it the second time as well. Yeah, you might be right. Uh, that, that grip patch as well, apparently the track said that that had been redone about two weeks ago. So it should have given grip, but it clearly didn't. No, it, it was designed to give grip to NASCAR, and there was a mismatch between the NASCAR tires mm. and the Firestones. It's quite—it's very interesting that because it, 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 we know it happens a lot when you put in F1 when they have a different tarmac. They have to rip up, they have to, they have to suck up the old rubber before they put down the rubber they like. Yeah, uh, Tom Firth reminds me Ed Carpenter did have a uh, spin in practice, but he didn't uh, hit the wall. Uh, yes, he was very good. Uh, nearly a full month, as Jeremy said, until the next one, which is uh, on the mega weekend of American racing, yes. where everybody is racing together. It's the Fourth of July weekend. And F1. Yep, it's going to be a busy day for those of you in the states who watch your sport on NBC or NBCSN, because there's IndyCar and NASCAR uh, Infinity Series and Indy Lights. Uh, Oh, no, Saturday. no, Indy Lights, that's right. And Dimsa is on Saturday on as well, sa- yes. All on Saturday, and then Sunday is the cup race. And it, um, they're at Indianapolis, and we're at Daytona. So two of the big uh, venues being used. You're listening to Midweek Motorsport Series 15, episode 23. Nick Damon's on the line. Uh, Tim Gray's up in London. Where to next, Tim? Did you notice uh, that towards the end of that IndyCar segment, Nick Damon said F1 three times? Yeah. Mm. So are we going to F1 next? No, we're going to rallying next. Ah, mm. And the cancellation of this year's Wales Rally GB. I've faded him down so he can't say anything. I wasn't going to say anything. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, which was due when, Tim? Was, uh, was the that, end of October. Still, so it was, yeah, all right. So it, 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 it used to be November, but back end of, uh, back end of October. Okay, fine. Um, the reason given is... Uh, it's in Wales. Which hasn't opened up as much as 
England yet. No, Wales. It's a long way away. Wales still doesn't have uh, hotels. Um, The Welsh First Minister Mark Drakeford uh, said hotels in Wales will not be opening any time soon, and sporting events are right at the very bottom of the list. Yeah, I don't disagree with that. Really, I don't. His uh, Um, message and the uh, new tourism slogan for uh, Wales is obviously going to be, "Come to Wales later." Sometime, but not yet. And if you yes. uh, it has a knock-on effect for other people, though. Mm. In particular, the British Rally Championship, uh, which has already had one event, the Cambrian Rally. Um, and they've already decided that they're going to uh, include the uh, Ypres Rally in Belgium as part of the British Championship. Yeah. Um, and they were hoping hoping to end their championship uh, by splitting the Friday and Saturday of Wales Rally GB into two separate um, events for them so they could have two more rallies. Um, But now that it's not happening, they can't uh, do that. So British Rally Championship hanging in the balance now. Given that yesterday um, half of the uh, English Football League decided they weren't going to complete the season. Um, I, I, I'm not sure how you That's can justify... That's for nothing other than financial reasons, though. Well... Really? Yes. Well, because the, uh, the backstory to that is the FA has negotiated a very sweet deal with the nothing TV Nothing to do companies. with the FA. The FA is not involved in this at all. Well, so who is it? EFL? The EFL. Right, OK. So the, so the AFL have negotiated a pretty sweet deal where they don't have to give as much money back as they thought they were going to for Leagues 1 and 2. So they've just they've decided just, you know, let's just promote whoever we decide, which is the people who's in the places now instead of finishing the season, which is ridiculous. It's not the people who are in the places now, though. Because well, uh, Wickham uh, will go into the playoffs having been eighth now. Oh, that's a good point. That's, yeah, because they were going to beat Coventry. They were top of the league. Anyway, we strayed off onto soccer. Don't don't forget that. Uh, I think it's pathetic, actually. I think if you're going to where, where not, is Sunderland finishing? Uh, doesn't make any difference either way. We'll be seventh or eighth. Um, I think if you're not going to finish a season, you can't award a championship. You can't do promotions and relegations, and doing points per game is is just nonsense because you're not waiting it. At least you've got to have you know like Duckworth-Lewis method or something like that. Anyway, if you're into football, as many of you are, and thank you for all the good uh, comments about the Football Rewind, 3 o'clock on Saturday on RS3 for the latest uh, latest edition with Declan Brennan and his guests. That's this weekend on a very busy weekend. Yes, because after this show, uh, well, this time tomorrow, 8pm on Thursday, uh, it's the Toro Radio Show. And this week they'll be talking about uh, a press release from the ACO. Um, ah, yes. <laughs> Which has been withdrawn now. But yes, very a, interesting. A possibly ill advised press release from the ACO. Um, they're also going to be talking about Dirt 5 and Project Cars 3. And uh, it's. No, no, is that after extra home time? Win. It's a home win. <laughs> <laughs> very good, Nick. Great minds. Great minds. Nick, it's the I? UK team of Matt uh, and. Um, Jordan this yep. week. Okie dokie. And then we've got On The Grid and we'll have Krillzy along in a wee while to tell us what is on that. Indeed. 
Uh, series 15, episode 23, uh, just after half past eight. And Tim Gray, our executive producer in London, is going to take us on a magical mystery tour to where next? Portugal. Oh. Oh, I could have had Marco Emma saying that, couldn't I? I've only thought yes. about it. Portugal. Yes. Uh, yes, the weekend, Nick. We are back with we what, are. What, what Bruce brilliantly calls, and I make no mistake for, for stealing, uh, no, no excuses <laughs> for stealing this from Bruce Jones, but this is copyright Bruce Jones. Full Metal Racing returns to Europe, and it will be the first international multi-class uh, endurance race at Portimao, at the circuit, through Algarve. Uh, it's Kreventnik and the Hancock 24-hour series. Have you seen the entry list? I have seen the entry list. Uh, do we put a fiver could... on Herbeth now? Well, they've got two of the three cars. There's a good chance. Mm. <laughs> the the Wimbledon team's really good. Yeah, very good. Talk about it. What do you think? Well, um, yeah, I mean, we have, you know, the, the first the proper race of the year. Um, well, of the restarted year. Um, and we have, well, we haven't got a, a massive number of cars. We have got a decent fight in every single class. Uh, GT3, we've got um, three entries, including the main Herbert, your for lovers of the, of the class and lovers of the show. It's the Alleman, Bon, Renau, Renauer um, uh, race. So at least I won't have to worry about which one's which um, from uh, many miles away. Um, the second Herbert car is the has been for most of the year. And there is a Mercedes AMG GT3, um, which has got by backed by AMG with Winwood Racing. It's got Phyllis. Uh, this is this is the HTP Winwood team who were yeah. uh, most recently successful in the Man Filter Colours uh, in the DNLS last time out. Yeah, so they're going to try and do it for real as well as doing it virtually. So then we go. We have a couple of uh, races. Oh, and Phil Ellis, who was driving. Phil Lord. Ellis, who was driving in that race, is with Indy Dunchy, Russell Ward, and Bryce Ward. Now, they're based in the US, but they I know they have been coming backwards and forwards because obviously HTP Windward Russell um, is is running that alongside Christian Hornardle, isn't it? Of course. So I'm not sure if they are coming over or whether Christian Hornardle might have to dust off his race boats. I think there's much problem flying into Germany, to be honest, because Germany is obviously is, is very less affected by COVID than, mm-hmm. than uh, most of the rest of Europe. And, of course, it's, you're fine to leave America. No issue at all. <laughs> um, so, yes, moving on, we have a couple of uh, Porsches from uh, Molina Motorsport and, of course, the Speed Lovers. And then a, a plethora of GT4s, um, it, it, a subclass. We have um, Aston Martin. We have a Mercedes and two of the Caymans. Seven one eight, a car which yeah, Aston I've Martin with Brown Silverstone for twelve hours. Yeah, excuse me, um, Aston Martin Vantage for Pro Sport, which includes uh, Nico Verdonk and Rodrigue Gion, along with Constantin Scholl and Tom Herrin. Uh, Nico and Rodrigue are doing four twenty-four hour races in no time at all, and as Nico's press release said today, certainly we're not going to get bored. There's going to be plenty of racing <laughs> uh, going on. There's a couple of Portuguese teams in there. Yep. Um, Parker Lagar Racing. Yeah, the, the Parker Lagar um, always turn up at um, Portimao. I don't think they're actually a local Algarvian team. It, 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 that's not a word. So the Par- Parker Lagar team are always there. And this is about the fourth time we've been to, to Portimao with Creventic, I think. Right. Um, so, yeah, so the, the, and, they, and they have a, a mixture of cars. This time they come with the GT4 version of the AMG Mercedes. Uh, and I'll, I say all Portuguese team for the first, the Caymans, who are also in GT4. That's Paula Pinheiro, Miguel Praia, and Miguel Ferreira. 
Uh, the Mulder Motorsports, they've got a Cayman 718 as well for Axel Zarting and Daniel Schwarefeld and Torsten Young. Yes. Um, and then we come to TCR, and the TCR competition is as... Um, well, as good as any any TCR you get in a in a normal full field uh, yeah. preventic race. We've got Autoral, we've got Red Camel, who put out Red Camels, who obviously have a revolving team. Well, Red Camels, we finally got the glory team, John. It's Rick, Ivo, and Luke. So it's Team Breakers. I think it's the first time all three of them have been together. Correct. Because I think the t- we have various combinations of two, but I don't think we've ever had all three with no extra drivers. So it's going to be Breakers only in Red Camel. And as long as Eva doesn't drive very much, they'll have a good chance of winning Stop that. Stop it. They're no, raring it's... to go. Eva is absolutely raring to go. He was on television the uh, in Holland uh, recently as he and one of the team members were literally the only people in the airport and uh, it was quite funny in the the interview and for once uh uh evil decided not to talk he let the other chap do all the really? talking yeah Finally. so it's the breakers family day out in the 101 and the key thing to remember there for luke is to not bin it on your in lap um, which he did in, in the monza race which was about virtual yeah we have autorama who of course have uh been ever present i think the autorama, the autorama car has been in just about every single um, so the second one from us is 112. The number one car, so we should have said their first car is actually, is actually the overall Creventic champion from last year. And so he carries the number one. And that has, um, you know, uh, Carrie Pecker, Laxon, and Antibully, who is a man, much like most fans of few words. Um, Let's but his drive and does the talk. Very, very quick. Yeah, he's, he's, he's got a man of few words, but at least he's polite. He's not a man of few words and rude, like a certain Mr. Raikkonen. No. Um, and then we have Christoph Lenz and Jerome O'Gay, again, uh, regular drivers with Autorama. Um, we've got a Volkswagen Golf for Code Racing, which is a French team, again, with people we, we know well, like Thierry Boyer and uh, Bruno Darcy. And then AC Motorsport with an with a Audi LMS, which is obviously Stéphane uh, Parin, who's another person who effectively does just about every single race, but often in different cars. Yeah. So uh, and and the Come to You Team Audi Sport is the Tom Coronel and Natalia Berton and Nicolet Bert car. Yeah, that's 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 we've got two pros in that one. Natalia Berton and Tom Coronel. I think Tom Coronel's probably moving the upper age of pro, maybe I'd say pro on age. But don't forget with Tom, he's only, he's only doing it so he can uh, he can friend you and then unfriend you on on Twitter, as that's what Tom does. Uh, we've got live qualifying on Friday. Uh, we've got the start of the race on Saturday, so a little bit of build up. Uh, obviously, Nick can't do his grid walk, but that doesn't mean there won't be a grid walk. We're just, just finding, yeah, I'm afraid you may have been usurped, mate. Oh, no. We, 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 you've parachuted Joe in, have you? No, no. <laughs> and we're, we're waiting to see guests. Guests. Takes more Ooh. than one person to do your job, mate, if you're not there. That's true. Can, can Nick still uh, perform the first 30 minutes of the show uh, in a walking position? Yes. I, well, I'll be in your house. You can even in, in decide what I do. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, uh, but keeping we'll get, two we'll, meters away from Johnny Palmer. We'll we'll get I, I you. I normally do. We'll get you a, a treadmill so that yes. you can, <laughs> so you you feel. feel and, uh, we'll do some darkness running as well uh, up until midnight. So then it's on the, the TV. treadmill as well. Say so, so again. It's a darkness running on the treadmill as well. Well, yes, indeed. Um, <laughs> there's a what can only be described as a cut down TV crew going from null to by Eins. Our colleagues who provide us with the pictures, uh, they're going to, their pictures will be, um, they'll be knocking off at, at midnight uh, or thereabouts. 
And then we'll be back for the last three hours on Sunday morning uh, when Johnny, Nick and myself will take you through to the end. And it'll be uh, Johnny and Nick uh, with me uh, as well covering that. Uh, And to be honest, Nick, Creventi have done a pretty good job, haven't they? They've done a cracking job in terms of of getting getting this put together. And earlier on this week, uh, I spoke to their uh, competitions manager, Ole Dolleman, about just how much work has gone into this uh, and asked them if they were ready to go back racing again. Yes, uh, we are, John. Uh, thank you for having me uh, on uh, Midweek Motorsport uh, this week. And um, we, are, we are very much looking forward to it. In, in fact, will be uh, the very first international car race to take place after slash during the, the uh, COVID-19 uh, crisis. Uh, measures are in place and, and uh, it's just a, a great forecast to finally be back on the circuit and, instead of in the office. Before I ask you about the prospects for competition at the weekend, I've got to find out a little bit behind the planning, the logistics, these sort of things... In the best of times, Ola, don't come together easily. It's a massive team effort. Tell me a little bit about the process that's gone on to get cars back on track at Portimao this weekend. Well, we are just at the end of, of uh, travel restrictions uh, ending in, inside the European Union. And the last few weeks have been a massive effort from, from all of the people here at Creventic, but also um, Portimao circuit to ensure that we that we can go to Portugal, that uh, traveling is safe, that um, all um, sort of measures are in place on a circuit to ensure the safety and, and health of our competitors. And uh, last but not least, uh, we also should not uh, forget about our, our teams that are taking one step forward to, to be part of this, uh, I'd even call it historical event uh, for us, to join us as uh, some sort of pioneers showing that uh, motorsports is possible in, in these difficult times. And without the massive team effort internally and externally, we wouldn't have been able to achieve being back on track already uh, now in June. So what things have you had to put in place to get to the circuit? And what have you had to put in place at the circuit to keep everybody safe? First of all, we needed permission to have a race in Portugal in, in June. Thanks to the circuit and, and uh, the circuit staff, we could ensure that actually quite uh, on time. Um, but of course, then there was still traveling and then there was still um, hygienic um, circumstances that we need to keep in mind. And um, it is a lot of documentation that is uh, required. It's getting a bit easier now, but a few weeks uh, back, it, it looked as if it were, was still uh, more difficult uh, to cross uh, intra-European borders than it actually is right now. So we needed to prepare for the worst case uh, possible, having documentation in place uh, for, for trucks, for uh, equipment, logistics, uh, to cross intra-European borders, and also to ensure that none of our staff, drivers, teams, uh, must go in, in uh, quarantine. So, so that was quite a challenge uh, logistically, which we luckily could uh, could solve in the in the best way uh, possible now. Uh, that we can ensure n- no one needs to go in quarantine. Uh, t- traveling is possible. Hotels are open. Uh, restaurants are open. So 
with distance, social distancing, uh, still a lot of fun is possible. And the second part, of course, is what is in place on the circuit. We needed to reduce the, the number of people per team, need to ensure that uh, distances are, are met. We, we could also shed a different light on some procedures that we're having. The briefing, for instance, will, will be done fully digitally for the very first time for us. Um, a lot of the administrative checks on, on spot uh, will be done fully digital. And even uh, scrutineering will, will happen in a different way than we did it all the years. And uh, it's just also interesting to, to shed a different light on these and uh, possibly learn towards the future how to implement some of the things we thought of in these times uh, in other races as well. At the track itself... Fewer people, if you've mentioned, for, for each of, of the cars uh, and a, a pit garage for every entrant? Yes, that is correct. Uh, every uh, entrant, every car will have their own uh, pit garage. And basically uh, each crew, so uh, mechanics, team manager, um, excluding drivers, is uh, made up of a maximum of eight people. That uh, for some of our cars means uh, half the staff compared to other events. But um, it is possible, for example, during pit stops, um, instead of four mechanics, only two are allowed to work on the car. Um, in the pit box itself, only four people may work simultaneously at the car. And of course, uh, wherever a two-meter distance is not possible, um, uh, sufficient mouth-nose uh, coverage uh, needs to be worn by everyone involved. It is special measures, special circumstances, but it's, it's simply how it is uh, nowadays. And um, we don't need to hide from it. We can uh, implement it and uh, we're happy that this way we can uh, be back on track already this week. In terms of drivers sharing the same car, have you added measures there for, for driver changes, etc.? Inside of the car, we actually leave the car how, how, it, uh, how it is and how it was before. What is uh, important, um, but that's anyhow in motorsports, that the drivers are wearing full uh, protective gear, including gloves, uh, balaclava and, and helmet. Even though they're sharing one seat in the car, since they're wearing protective clothing, we are 100% um, certain that uh, Good. there uh, will not be any impeachment on, on, uh, on hygienic standards in that sense. We can't go motor racing without the... Excellent work that goes on at every circuit by the motor racing marshals. That is uh, something that uh, the circuit itself has uh, ensured and, and put measures in place that uh, marshalling at the post will uh, be done in uh, line with, with the uh, prescriptions of the, of the FIA. Um, so there will not be a massive reduction on, on marshaled staff. But measures are in place that um, distance can be kept at, at the marshal posts. It, it will basically be avoided um, for, for many people to meet also around the circuit. And um, measures are in place that these uh, marshals, the volunteers, can uh, disinfect uh, their hands, wash uh, themselves properly and stay within the same circle of uh, people throughout the weekend. How important was it? for Kravenik, for the Hankook 24-hour series, to get something going again. Safety, of course, always comes uh, first. So, so uh, we, we, of course, need to ensure that uh, we're not doing anything rushed. It's, it's uh, very well thought through that, that we're going to Portugal now. Measures are in place. But it is, for us, important to also keep some sort of role model uh, role 
in this entire uh, construct and, and um, show others that motorsports is possible. We um, have the advantage that we are uh, working and, and living in a, in a, a non-contact sport. It, it uh, of course, makes motorsport more accessible than, than uh, team sports during these times. But for us, uh, it is a great honor to be um, the first international uh, race to start again. We'd have been one of the first international races starting in Europe in, in March with the 12 hours of Monza that were initially scheduled. And now we are uh, still the ones that are going to open the season here. Yeah, it's, it's, it's simply a great uh, honor. And um, all the thanks of ours go uh, to the people that make this possible, including uh, the teams and drivers that uh, join us in Portimao. It's almost uh, 20 cars confirmed at the moment. All of these people can be considered uh, pioneers in these times, I'd say. With the likelihood, Ola, that we're going to have to learn, perhaps to live with this for a very long time, do you feel as though Kreventnik is learning procedures here for the future? Uh, yes, I definitely say so. The approach of motorsports uh, during the COVID-19 times uh, is a learning process. This is uh, definitely a big first step that we're taking uh, now, not only for us, but uh, for anyone involved in, in international motorsports. After the event, we can again reassess, reevaluate, uh, look at the procedures and in the end make sure that uh, motorsports remains accessible to the competitors, remains accessible to some extent uh, to the fans that are following us and that we can uh, continue living our passion of, of endurance racing together with everyone who wants to. Just um, take care that, that uh, all the measures that are necessary at uh, the specific time are being taken care of. Brilliant stuff from Ola Dollarman spoke to me earlier this week. Uh, Oliver Giles listening tonight, expecting a competitive duel between HTP, uh, Winwood and Herbert for overall honours, welcoming return of sound and vision coverage as well. Uh, Dev Alcock, do we know how many hours? Uh, just over 14 hours of sound and vision, of which uh, about 12 hours, so half of that, uh, half of the race included in that and of course uh, the qualifying sessions on Friday tea time in the UK as well starts at five o'clock over on RS3 uh, and RS1 will simulcast that as well. Dave Alcott would just mention of the Duckworth Lewis matter he said such a report that Tony Lewis the mathematician who was the Lewis in Duckworth Lewis died on March the 20th this year another one of those great British minds who contributed so much but few have heard uh, of uh, that's uh, that's I'm, I'd missed that I, I'm sorry to say. Uh, hello to Sarah Rigby tonight. Uh, tuned in and getting ready for the weekend. Bit of Aston Martin racing down at Portugal, so I'm sure she'll be tuned in. Tom Firth sings. Sounds good. Great coverage. Uh, excellent comms uh, from the guy, says Chris Humphreys. Hello, Chris. Not, won't be long before your trackside again. Uh, I would think as well. Hello to David Monks tuned in tonight as well. Jesse says digital scrutineering. This is going to get interesting. Very good. And Neil Gardner says uh, reducing team st staff. Is that a positive? Uh, less expense for each team and as a result possibly more teams that can afford to go racing at a good level. Every cloud uh, agreed. Absolutely uh, agreed. Uh, and Chris Humphreys uh, just backing up what Ole said uh, I have read the Motorsport UK guidance of two marshals for posts. I haven't seen FIA guidance yet. I suspect 
F1 marshalling guidance will go online soon. No compromise on safety, Chris. I think that came over loud and clear with what Ola said there. Uh, And Nick Damon, uh, Jesse said tons of great technical information there from Ola. He's he's brilliant. Nick, the Kreventic, I mean, they've, they've grabbed the bull by the horns. They've set that stall out and they've made it happen. It's, you know, just under 20 cars, not the biggest grid, but money, mouth, rearrange, uh, they've made it happen. And as Ollie said there, they might well be learning stuff that they can put into into action in the future as well to make their product better. Absolutely. I mean, I think it's, it takes a lot of uh, chutzpah, let's say, that's a clean word to say, isn't it? to put yourself on the line like that. And no one else is running a multi-class racing uh, race for the next few weeks. They've been out there, got it. They've got an entry. They've got some quality racing. I'm really looking forward to it. More importantly, it's a fantastic beacon to say, OK, we're up, we're running, we're going, because don't forget they have another race in five weeks' time, don't they? Correct. Four weeks' time in Monza. So it's, it's very much a case with, with Italy getting very much over the worst of the situation and and, and, you know, and and coming out the other side, it now means, right, this is this is our beacon. Uh, you know, come come to Monza. It's going to happen. You haven't got to worry about that. It's definitely going to happen. Let's, let's get some people there for that too. Uh, Jack Martin's in Australia. Hello, Thursday morning uh, to Jack. Thanks for tuning in here. So just a, a quick reminder, that is, of course, the preventing 24 hours uh, Thursday, sorry, Friday, Saturday and Sunday. And uh, Emma, where's that race again? Portugal. Thank you. Uh, Tim. Uh, Some news of uh, things that are going to happen or not going to happen soon. Uh, That's not narrowing it down, Tim, to be fair. Tomorrow, uh, there's going to be an announcement regarding the 2021 edition of the Dakar Right, which obviously isn't in Dakar. Hasn't been for a no. while. Doesn't even go to America. Doesn't even, not even in South America anymore. It's in Saudi Arabia. Oh, sorry. I'm back a continent. I do apologise. Um, so, we don't know what that announcement will be, whether it will be uh, that it is going ahead or not going ahead or going ahead at a different time or in a different place. Or Given where they are and how much money that particular state throws into things to try and offset um, less than good publicity about it in other ways. Um, They'll probably be doing it all indoors somewhere. They're going to build a huge um, off-road arena for full-size cars. And on the subject of huge off-road arenas for full-size cars, Race of Champions... Is, is happening virtually. Not happening this year in real life, but it will be happening virtually. And that's uh, on the 28th of June. It's just like any any normal afternoon when you're desperately trying to find a car you can win a race in. <laughs> Online. Moving on. Uh, let's do some Formula One. Hooray! God, I wasn't quick enough on the theatre there. <laughs> I think you were quick enough. Okay, just, just. Um, so uh, we've spoken about the European part of the calendar. Uh, the first eight races, yes. Turns out that European races could uh, be the next three as well. well or three of the next five. Is Sochi Europe? Don't know. Uh, is the question on that one. Is Baku Europe? No. Um, Not going to Baku. Double header in Sochi. And then potentially... 
I think Sochi is in Europe, yes. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, and then yes, uh, one race at Mugello. An F1 race at Mugello? Yes. Yeah, that's 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 picked up a bit of romance. It's just about the thousandth race that Ferrari would have taken part in, and they, and they thought it'd be like being in Italy for that. Um, I think Mugello is a fantastic track, and being behind closed door... Is it? Yeah, it is. Yeah, being it, behind it, closed doors. It's become door, grade one this summer. Yeah. Yeah. Big issue with Mugello, as you know, John, from being there, is it's one road in, one road out. Yeah. So you could not have a Grand Prix with people there, but a Grand Prix with no people there would be interesting. However, I would say it'll be a fantastic race, things that cars drive around, but I don't see it being very good as a raceable track. I don't see F1 cars being able to overtake there. When was the last... Never. I was going to say, when was the last Formula One race there? But you beat me to it. You knew what I was going to say. Yes. It was an obvious question, and everyone knows that the answer is never. Uh, China is also a possibility. No, go on then. Uh, 1985 in the 1000 K of Mugello, 1000 K of Mugello in full house Group C cars. Ricardo Patrese in a Lancia LC2, 139.07. That's the best lap record ever, then. Yeah. Was that real, or was that something that Tom Aaron created? No, no. That, that, that's actually on happened. their side. That, that. Uh, 143 Timo Scheider for DTM. Mike Thackwell in F2. And 143.9. MotoGP 45.5. GT1 48.4. And this will... Uh, Nick will like this. Andrea Bertolini in a Maserati MC12. Yeah. Uh, Moto2, Sam Laws, Danny Kent in Moto3. So an F1 car will do it about 110 then. Perhaps 115. Oh, that'll be scary. I don't think think that's romance. I don't think that's going to happen. China and the Middle East uh, also still like... Yeah, they want to have a doubleheader in Shanghai, don't they? Mm. Uh, They want to go doubleheader in Shanghai and then the the bit that I think is certain is the three races in the Middle East, which is a doubleheader in Bahrain and then finishing in Abu Dhabi. Whether it finishes on the same original date for Abu Dhabi is questionable. But those three will happen, so they've got 11. Um, if they then decide that Sochi is Asia, or, or, so they, might, they might make their continents back number as well. Not that the boat that's been waived. The continents thing has been waived by the FIA. Well, and and Shanghai is there anyway. Yeah, good point. Yeah. Um, we said it would be anywhere. We absolutely said uh, it would be 3.1 miles. So it is, it is uh, 3.2 miles, Michelle. Or I've just looked it up, and it, it is long enough because it's got to be three miles, hasn't it? Uh, no. Oh, okay. MotoGP has a length restriction. Formula One does not. Really? Monaco is not three miles. I don't think that Red Bull Ring is three miles. Baku is not sure three it. miles. Oh, okay. Baku is way over three I, miles. It's about a mile and a half straight. I, didn't you, I don't think Singapore is three miles. Didn't you tell me, Nick, that there is a sort of an unofficial lap time? That yeah, they, like they, to go under. They, they're under it. The only place they're under it is uh, it's mostly one. It's one ten in race trim. Is they don't want to go under. Right, seventy seconds, um, and they are under it at, at uh, Austria at the moment. Mm. But the rest are all um, okay. But that is an, a, a, under the counter rules, not a rule that's written writ large. If they really, so a, sorry, go ahead. If they really want to uh, play at the Ferrari, why don't they just have it at Ferrari's chest track at Fiorano? Well. Apparently, the, the 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 more obvious place to have it, if they want it in Italy, is have it in Imola. But apparently, there's now some issues with the local government and and their and where they are in the particular uh, their Corona Corona lock, uh, unlockdown release the Corona release environment. What's the matter with because, Monza? 
If it's already got one, they're not double-heading Monza, you're saying? Oh, I see. Right, OK. Because they're okay. not allowed to have that many noisy days at Monza. <laughs> OK, fine. They've had plenty of quiet days recently, you know. Does that not balance it? A, a three-day Formula One event would, would take them over. OK. Seems reasonable. Uh, for the moment, Nick Dearman, thank you very much indeed. Just after nine o'clock. Midweek motorsport. And don't you dare switch off now, because the next hour's going to be even better. It certainly is. Uh, we have got a second hour that is just as packed as the first more guests to come as well. It's been a funny old week, hasn't it, for Volkswagen Group Works motor racing teams. Uh, we'll have uh, the man at the top of Bentley Motor Racing, Paul Williams, talking about their withdrawal from their international uh, GT series. Uh, we'll also have a bit of Porsche with Pascal Zerlinden joining us in a few moments' time. Shit, Adam uh, will be with us to talk about IMSA news off the back of that Porsche interview as well. More of your tweets, please. At Specky as we go into our two of Midweek Motorsport on RadioLeMond.com. Just after nine o'clock on a Wednesday evening, uh, time for our big interview. And delighted to say that joining us on the phone from Germany, the man at the head of GT Works Motorsport for Porsche is Pascal Zolinden. Pascal, good evening. Welcome to the show. How are you, first of all? Good evening. Good evening, everyone. Um, I'm okay at the moment. It's a strange situation for everyone, but uh, you can see that the the situation is evolving in the right direction. And uh, one sign of it is that we are back soon back to racing, which is some positive sign that the health situation worldwide is improving at the moment. Uh, We have got you on tonight to talk about a little bit of a, a shock announcement that came uh, recently from Porsche in that it is going to cease its operation of the works entries that are run by Core in IMSA, in the GT Le Mans, as they call it, GTE, as we would call it in the WEC. Can you give us a little bit of background about how that decision came about, at Pascal, first of all? And then if you look at um, how coronavirus is affecting the economy, and uh, like this, also the um, finance of all automotive manufacturers, also Porsche. And um, everyone in the company has to do his contribution to help the company. And uh, at Porsche Motorsport, the decision was taken as a contribution to stop the works program of uh, GTLM in U.S. from next year. Porsche, U.S. is an important market for us, and uh, we will continue to support all the infra, infra platform, if it is with our customers in GTD, GT4, or with our cup cars. So we'll still be present, definitely. Uh, and, and this decision, Pascal, it, it came uh, from uh, Porsche AG in, in Germany, or it was a, a decision made by Porsche Cars and Porsche Motorsport North America? It uh, was uh, taken by Porsche, in, uh, by uh, the mother uh, of Porsche, which is Porsche in Germany. Clearly, this is going to uh, be disappointing for a lot of Porsche racing fans. But in in some ways, 
uh, what you've said there, you're effectively going back to your roots in America, aren't you? With with customer racing uh, still being very much supported by both Porsche AG, Porsche Motorsport in Germany, and Porsche Motorsport North America. Definitely, again, our roots are customer racing. One of the proof of this is if you look at uh, our presence in Le Mans, since 1951, there was always Porsche in Le Mans, but not always works team, but Porsche was always present with one, one type of customers and that's the customers. Our competitors, which are comp- the customers, they are always there. And this is, as you said, our route. And this way we are following also for the future. I'll come back to that in a, in a little while. I think one thing that everybody has got very worried about is that Porsche works cars won't be seen anywhere uh, around the world. But that's not the case. The WEC programme, the Le Mans programme, effectively will continue? For the moment, the decision made about IWEC has no impact on all the other programmes. So for the moment, WEC is planned. Formula E is planned as we had before. In terms of uh, the situation in America with John Bennett's team, Jonathan Bennett's team, Core Autosport have been running your cars under the auspices of, of Porsche uh, Motorsport. You recently signed a new deal with them that should have taken them through to the end of 2021. Have you got something else for them to do or is that still to be decided? At the end, uh, the decision is too fresh to be, to speak about it, and we never speak really about contracts. But uh, definitely, we we'll have uh, we have some contacts with uh, our partner, Core Autosport, which we are really proud of because of the history which was written in the books for the last seven years, which is really impressive. And uh, we'll have some talks in the next week. I think we have to say, Pascal, don't we, that this would be a decision that wasn't taken lightly. Porsche were the first manufacturers to support Dr. Don Pernos in the American Le Mans series. They've been ever-present in both forms of, of IMSA now. So this is a decision that, that hasn't been made, as us English would say, at the drop of a hat. It hasn't been made lightly. Now, then was a really difficult uh, decision. And uh, as we said, we had to take at one point the decision to give um, our commitment as Porsche Motorsport to Porsche AG as our part of contribution to the crisis. And, uh, but it was a difficult one. You can, you can believe me. <laughs> Is there an opportunity, Pascal, for a private team to continue running RSRs? Could somebody take an RSR and run it as a privateer in IMSA? And, and would you be prepared to support that? Then we discussed it long also at the same time. And uh, we don't think that this will be possible. We don't see a customer to find a customer to fight against work teams. It's really difficult. And uh, so we don't think that uh, the RSRs will be running next year in the US. Okay. In the end of customers. What about other programs then? It's no secret that every major manufacturer, including Porsche, have been very complimentary about Scott Atherton's and now John Doonan taking it on for IMSA, a plan with the ACO for LMDH prototype uh, racing. Is that affected in any way by this decision? As I said, this decision was independent from any other decision. The decision to quit uh, GTLM in IMSA at the end of the year and then we'll, um, we are working on this LMDH evaluation, evaluation study, 
which was uh, requested by our board, and this is continuing. And um, as we said in the past, having one car, you can, you can, if you can develop one car for the price, same or similar to a GTLM, and run for overall win in US and in Europe, this is, sounds like a good plan. So let's see what comes out of it. I'll be honest, Pascal. I never thought I'd see that in my lifetime when we when we announced that at uh, at Daytona, which seems like a million years ago now. I, I honestly had to pinch myself. It's a a great opportunity, but of course the current situation with manufacturers worldwide having to shut down that is going to make things difficult going forward with any new programs. Yes, I would agree. But um, again, on the same hand. Every category in the world, if you speak at for, uh, about Formula One and others, they are all seeing how to develop a next regulation mm. to save money. But SEO and uh, IMSA, they already did it last year because they presented uh, economical viable top category already in January in Daytona, which they could be proud of because at the end they were one step before all the others, what the others are working on now. Do you believe that that kind of initiative that the ACO, Pierre Fillon, um, Jared Nouveau for WEC and now John Doonan for IMSA along with Jim France, do you believe that that kind of initiative is uh, required now in other motorsport areas uh, because of the financial hardships in effect that we're going to see and the financial decisions that will have to be taken by OEMs and their motorsport department? Definitely, I would agree personally with uh, what you said. At the moment, everyone is counting every cent before deciding a project. But if you can see that this project is really cheap and you can have the right exposure, then you have a chance. And um, they did this step before COVID-19 came. And uh, this could be a chance for endurance racing worldwide. We should make it clear here, Pascal, that, that Porsche are not going to disappear from IMSA, the works cars won't be in GTLM, but that does not mean there will be no Porsches in IMSA competition. Uh, definitely, we are already in contact with our teams. We are now running in GTD, GT4 and so on to see what their plans are for next year. And I'm sure Porsche will still be present. I will be there in Daytona next year and I'm already looking forward to it and um, trying to help out our customers, which uh, is our back to our route, absolutely. as we said before. And in terms of new product from Porsche Customer Racing. I, I note with interest the uh, GT4 Cayman Championship we're about to start in, in the UK. Is there an opportunity to introduce that sort of championship for privateers uh, in the US? Yeah, in the US, there are already many, many uh, sports cups, like uh, the GT4 Championship East Coast, West Coast, and so on. So the club sport platform is really important for us in the US. You have, I think, three or four championships in parallel to the big ones like IMSA or SRO. And still, of course, the IMSA GT3 Cup Challenge USA and Canada, uh, supported by Yokohama. There's been, for some time, the thought that there might be a Carrera Cup America. Is 2021 or 2022 the right time to think about Carrera Cup and a full pro series for the 911 Cup car? I would say this would be a decision which we would made uh, with uh, our customers. It will be a customer-driven decision. We're not that far away from getting back to what my colleague here 
uh, at Radio Shulham at Bruce Jones called Full Metal Racing. We've all been involved in the virtual side of things, as Porsche have been as well, with a variety uh, of, of championships. But 4th of July weekend, Saturday night racing at Daytona. It's a bit of a different uh, feel to going back to Daytona at that time of year. Are, are you and the teams excited about it? Definitely, yes. Then we are, we are also exciting about all the esports, which is something Porsche was already in the last two years, and we are developing more and more. And our drivers are really involved in lots of series, like Insta series, but also 24 hours of Le Mans next, next week. It's also exciting, but definitely for, for our drivers, for all our fans going back to the racetrack, this will be something special. And this will happen now in a few weeks from now. And we are really all excited to be back. Daytona will be a bit special, as you said. Now it's uh, summertime, so different temperature. Mm. But also really exciting because you have IMSA has so much data from all what happened during the winter. So the BOP should be nearly perfect and will be a really great race, I'm sure. How impressed are all of the teams, but you particular, with how IMSA have been communicating and how they've been able to get back to racing. It looked for a while as though we wouldn't be able to get drivers and team personnel from Europe, from outside the, the US, in fact. And they've, they've worked really hard with the authorities in the States to get this going again. All the, all the guys around John Dunham, they were pushing really hard and always keeping everyone involved and informed. We had always called because at the end, Porsche and probably BMW, we are part of the critical teams who are sending guys from Europe, but not only drivers. And um, at the end, it was always transparent and they were really, really helpful, I have to say. Without them, I don't think we would be able to go back racing. In a normal situation, about how many personnel would come over from, from Europe to support the two cars in IMSA? Depending on the events, we always send... Outside of, if you ignore the drivers, between four and six people from uh, Europe. Some engineers, some specialists, our head of operations, Stefan Ulvart, and uh, also some press guys and marketing guys who are, pre- are preparing all the content you all like. Looking forward to getting that IMSA season under it, underway. It has a different look to the start of it, but very familiar going through the middle. But at the end, we're going to finish at Sebring and the Sebring 12 hours. And that effectively then will be the Porsche GT Team North America's swan song. That will be their, their finale. I, I, I would suggest that's not a bad place to finish off. You've had some success there. Sebring, the last uh, two years were really special as we we won the last two twelve hours of Sebring. was also my first race in the responsibility I have now. And so now Sebring will be a special one. And uh, I can tell you that now for the next races, probably I will not fly to US because we are limiting the number of people flying over, but also limiting, inside limited the number of people who are allowed to join in the paddocks. And we put some priorities. But uh, in, in, at the final in Sebring, definitely I will be there. I will not miss it. Even if I have to do some quarantine before and after. <laughs> but I will do everything to be there. I will not miss it. <laughs> Thank you for coming on to Midweek Motorsports to explain to us uh, the rationale behind a difficult decision, Pascal, uh, and also giving us some really positive news going forward. Have a great season. We're going to miss those cars in IMSA, but hopefully we'll keep our fingers crossed that there's, that there's, uh, there's some good news and Porsche are back with the works team in the US sometime soon.
Uh, definitely, let's cross the fingers and uh, we'll do, work on it, definitely. Thank you, everyone. Thank you, Pascal. Pascal Sullinton, the man who is head of Porsche GT Works uh, Racing. Chris Humphreys, whilst uh, we had him on the line there, asking, uh, uh, would it be possible to get a, effectively a GT Am car into GT LM Am car into IMSA competition? There is no separate class, Chris. And as you heard, I said I would ask, and, he, and I did, uh, Pascal saying they don't feel it's viable for a a private team to run against a full works operation with full pro drivers uh, in that competition. So for the moment, at least, we're going to lose the RSRs. Chair Adam Someone must joins want us. to do that, though, John. Sorry? I'm sure there will be a team that would be tempted by that. Not if Porsche aren't going to support them. Uh, financially or with the availability of parts? Uh, and drivers. Um, Shea Adam is joining us now. Essentially, that's what Reese does, and they haven't done a full season for a long time with that Ferrari share, even despite the fact that they get help with some factory drivers. Correct. And they've also come away with race victories with pole positions. They've been a force to reckon with in just about every race that they have run, even though it's been not as many as true Reese racing fans really would have hoped for. They've been focusing a lot more on the customer side as of late because of the high budget in GTLM. But if a privateer such as Giuseppe Ricci, who has such a passion for the prancing horse, can fund an effort in GTLM, surely there are a lot of fans out there who also enjoy that prancing horse that's on the Stuttgart-based logo and would really want to try and put a Porsche back into some sort of competition at that level. You've got to think that the interest is there, but Porsche isn't someone to dive into that lightly they would evaluate all their options and mm. even if you can remember back to 2013 john when we heard about the factory effort that was going to be coming into the then tutor united sports car championship there were two teams up for a bid apparently flying lizard and core mm-hmm. and the bid went the way of core to everyone's shock at that point it turned out to be the right decision core was a phenomenal partner for porsche for a long time and those are going to be big shoes to fill if someone can indeed come in and do that. I think the other part of, of that, possibly I should have asked uh, Pascal, was let's say for sake of argument, Penske came along and said, we'll run your Porsches for you. Um, and we've got a sponsor to do it. You can give us some drivers and off we'll go. That that might make a, a slight difference. It's going to depend on, on the team and and the finances because... The driving force behind this uh, is is finance. It is the fact that Porsche Motorsport has to make a contribution to cost saving. The factories have been closed for eight weeks and only just got went back to work at the, the, the start of June. Um, they're losing an awful lot of money in the uh, Volkswagen AG group. And, you know... I, I suspect they would look at it, but there's an awful lot of other Porsche motorsport going on in the States, as Pascal mentioned. Yeah, and, and what an interesting thing he mentioned, too, about the possibility of Carrera Cup. You sort of led him down that road a little bit, and then he put the brakes on and wanted to back up, saying that <laughs> it'll be whatever I did, just just slightly. They were bright, flashing red brake lights. Um, but that's a series that really does stand a chance of taking off next year because of the impact of this virus and what it's had 
mostly on the businessmen of, of mm. racing because that is what the IMSA GT3 Cup challenge has been. You've got the up-and-coming drivers, yes, but you've also got the people who have made their money and just want to go race a Porsche. How many of them are going to be left when we come back after this, as That's we'll talk point. about a bit later? So it, there really is an opportunity for a professional Carrera Cup series now. What would you say instead of what is now the GT3 um, Cup Challenge, uh, that is that that forbids professional races in, in point of Correct. fact. So you've got those young up-and-coming charges, the likes of Roman De Angelis, that series champion who has you know come along and and blitzed the Canadian and the the US series. He obviously wants to make a career as a professional racing driver, but he's not quite there mm-hmm. yet. At the other end of it, you've got some of the guys in the Masters category, some of the guys in the in the the full platinum cl- category who are racing because they have disposable income and they are. I mean, actually, if we ever get sick, uh, uh, they just call somebody. From the Carrera, from the GT3 Cup Challenge paddock, because I think <laughs> we've got a, a great neurologist, we've got a fabulous heart surgeon, uh, we've mm-hmm. got a couple of other really good specialists in there. I, I, I'm not sure that both of those could survive. No, and I don't think that they would. It would have to be a decision based on where the interest is necessarily. Yeah, that's for what Pascal said, yeah. Yeah, and which I completely agree with. For the GT3 Cup Challenge, the issue is going to be when we do resume racing, there were 21 cars, I want to say, at St. Petersburg. So that was before everything kicked off. I've been talking to some people and doing some digging around on who's going to come back when we do get to go racing once again. And it's looking like somewhere in the neighborhood of about 66% of most paddocks have been Uh, eliminated to put it gently so it's going to be a very different looking paddock when we do get to go back racing in general when you take into account the people who can't go racing because they employ others and they need to reallocate their funds from their own personal hobby to just keeping their business alive that's when it gets messier too that doesn't so much affect the doctors out there the, the people whose jobs haven't been impacted by owning a small business But for those business owners, it is a different story. So how many cars are we going to get will determine the future of the series and how it runs this year. Perfect example of that in a very different sense is Indy Lights. Mm. They didn't have enough people for this season to be able to continue. So it's a little bit of a sticky situation that we're seeing where people aren't necessarily bringing their own budgets. They're trying to find budgets and they couldn't find enough money to run a full championship. Well, when you're the one who's writing the paycheck, that's a totally different thing on your conscience. Well, but on that then, Carrera Cup Full Pro suggests that teams would have to find what I would call proper sponsorship because you are not going to, you know, let's reel, let's reel up off the usual suspects. Who, who would you see going there? You know, people of the caliber <sighs> of what? Andy Lally? Uh, you know, um, younger drivers maybe like... Kenton Cook would want to go there. Um, but those drivers are all going to want paying for doing what they're doing. At the very least, you know, even if you're an up-and-coming driver, you're not going to want to have to put any money in. So that means it has to be a viable business proposition and have real sponsorship on the cars. And I'm not sure in the current climate, 
I, I'm not sure even before the current climate that that there were 20 cars budgets out there across America. I agree. And to be honest, the biggest issue with referring back and forth between a Carrera Cup and the GT3 Cup Challenge is that they're two completely different things with two completely different sets of people in mind. Yes, they're racing the same cars, but one is aimed as paying drivers and one is aimed at, I want to go out there and have fun or I want to potentially use this as a springboard for a future career. So they really are very different in terms of what the drivers are looking to get out of it. If there were two series, which there should be in theory because they are two competing entities, there isn't enough interest between the two. There, there's not enough to distinguish between the two to the outsider that they are different series to people who maybe aren't necessarily race fans. You turn on and you see spec Porsches racing and you think it's spec Porsches racing. It's awesome. Great. There's my Saturday afternoon. You don't really care if there are people who are trying to become the next Dario Franchitti or if they're just a doctor going out there to try and perfect hitting the apexes, it doesn't matter to the person at home, but it does matter to the sponsors at home. And that's where it gets a little bit iffy. Uh, staying with IMSA, then what uh, you were talking about, you know, those issues, those issues likely have cost uh, the uh, first couple of races, at least for Paul Miller Racing. Yeah, the announcement came out yesterday that the GTD points leaders, the uh, Rolex 24-hour winners, will be missing the Daytona race in uh, July, to which Pascal Zolinden sounded very excited about the weather. He shouldn't be. It'll be 90 degrees and raining or not raining, but 90 degrees no matter what. Um, they'll miss Daytona and the Sebring round at a minimum due to the economic impacts that have been had on Paul Miller and his dealerships. He's had to furlough a lot of his employees and as such doesn't feel good about going back racing while people still don't have their jobs. So that puts the Madison Snow Brian Sellers car out of two rounds. Now, winning the championship would still be possible if they were going to run all the rest of the races but we don't know what they're going to be doing because we don't know when these people will get to be able to work again and when the finances will be there in line for the team. This is not the last of these announcements that we are going to be seeing. Um, from what I've been able to gather together, there's somewhere in the region of about 25 cars that will be running at the July race in Daytona. That's down from 39 that came to the Rolex. So we knew some of them were... NAEC entries only. We are gaining two cars that are Sprint Cup only, but it's still a big number of cars to come and teams with their announcements in the coming weeks that we're going to be seeing a lot more of this, unfortunately. Yeah, I think so. I think so. Shay, thanks very much for joining us uh, for the time being. We're uh, going to let you have a, a little bit of uh, a break. Do we need Shay back later, Tim? Don't think so, unless she wants to talk about bikes. Uh, well, she mountain knows, bikes, sure. Mountain bikes, she knows all about mountain Super bikes. Bikes. All about. Mountain I know bikes. all about how to fall off of a mountain bike. Yeah, I think we'll leave that right there. Shea, thanks for joining us. Uh, say hi thanks, to everybody John. over there. Bye. Yep, happy anniversary. Oh, thank you. Thank you very much indeed. Shea Adam joining us there on the news uh, that Porsche are taking uh, their works team uh, out of IMSA competition, Paul Miller Racing uh, also missing at least the first couple of IMSA races in GTD.
Daytona. I, I, I said it had been a, a funny week for Vol- Volkswagen Group. Uh, and indeed, Porsche were not the only team to announce the withdrawal of works racing uh, in the last few days. Bentley Motorsport ha- have done the same thing with M Sport, if you like, being furloughed for the time being. Uh, earlier on today, I spoke with the uh, head of Bentley Motorsport, Paul Williams. And if you listen to this channel regularly, you'll know we did an inside story with Bentley Motorsport just before the lockdown. And I suggested to him, first of all, that it seems like a very long time since we did that and things have certainly changed. Yeah, it feels like about 10 years in terms of uh, all the changes we've had to to make and all the things we've had to learn to do differently in the last uh, in the last month. And it really has been a, a quite considerable shake-up, I think, for, for all of us. Uh, we've seen the uh, announcement recently that uh, Bentley are going to uh, concentrate, shall we say, on customer racing. And in fact, actually, that hasn't changed, has it? Because when you and I were talking uh, up there, it was going to be a big year of customer racing. Yeah, that's been our, our priority for, for quite a while now. It's something we, we feel quite strongly about. And I think we, you and I discussed it previously that it is sort of the essence of what we believe Bentley Motorsport is and it goes right back to our to our roots as well and uh, what we see or we feel through this virus crisis is that this has become a sort of an accelerant for things that we were trying to do or trying to, to change anyway so this is just one thing that's pushed us even further down this road and uh, you know we have to we have to prioritize at this time and so we've uh, just re-emphasized that and we will we will push really hard to to make success um, of all our customers in, in whatever's left of this uh, this season tell us ostensibly what does this mean for m sport and the bentley works team first first of all the first point is that uh, we still have a, a, a relationship a partnership uh, a contract with with m sport because they've they have been and remain a key part of, of how Bentley Motorsport supports our customers in GT3 racing, and that hasn't changed. But they've, they also had the, the job to, to be the works team for Bentley, Bentley Motors, and that's something we've had to deprioritize at the moment you know, with M-Sport. So the main thing is that you know, they will continue to, to, to build our cars, support our customers, um, support them with parts, support them with technical resource where they need it and where my team is, is unable to do that. It's a, it's a hard blow, I think, for, for everybody at the moment. We were, you know, we've, we've said frequently in, in, in the last you know, year or so is that we've been on a track for a massively prosperous 2020 in terms of, you know, really putting time and investment and money into, into you know, one of our best years ever. And to, to get that scuppered by a virus that nobody really expected to experience is painful. But you know, we're hoping that it'll make us, you know, leaner and leaner and stronger as we as we go on. The fact is that you know, doing works racing is something you can do when you when you're prosperous and flush, and uh, when times are a bit harder, then you have to you have to focus a bit. And you know, as we said before, customers for us are the focus of GTC racing, and this just makes that even more critical. I mean, these more difficult times. It must be terribly frustrating for you and the team up there at Bentley Motorsport at Crewe, coming off a brilliant start to the year with the win 
at the Liquid Molly Bathurst, 12 hours. Longer term, it is medium term even, is there a plan, medium term, to get back to works racing or is it very much suck it and see for the time being? Look, it's very hard to judge what's going to happen in the in the world, you know, whether you're talking financially or, you know, what the world of motorsport will look like over the next month and how it will be with spectators and all the other things that that come into play when you when you talk about going racing. So, you know, right now we, we have a number of scenarios that we, we're, we're looking at. I think, you know, customer racing being the priority, we've always said that to, to have a, a, you know, a works team that enables us to, to you know, be the lead in, in, in developing the car and uh, making sure that we demonstrate the way that, that you know, that we think that the car should mm-hmm. be operated is a, is, a, is a major benefit and it's something which is, which is fantastic. And to have to, you know, to have to, to pause that or, or, you know, to slow it down is always, is always painful. And like you said, to, to be, you know, winning Bathurst and, and be really in a good, in a good position for the intercontinental GT challenge is, it, it's painful to have to experience, but we, we have to, you know, we have to make some some changes to go forward, and so this is uh, this is what we have to do. It's, but yes, it's painful for everybody in, in the team to 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 have to do that. Paul, is there a scenario that could get the works cars back in this season, whatever this season looks like? Is it a write-off completely, or are you still looking and considering? So we we will consider everything as we go forward. I think there's, you know. Depending what the rest of the season looks like, we can you know we can consider at any point whether we should do something more again. You know, there's a, been some discussion about M Sport also running as a private team, as a customer team, um, as a potential. You know, we still have all of our drivers. You know, they still remain works drivers, and so we have the potential to to, to do stuff for the rest of this year. We just you know we have to make it very clear that that, that we will prioritise our customer teams. To get back racing and to get you know to get to do what they need to do as a number one priority, and then you know if there's space and if there's if there's finance and if there's support to do something else, then we will consider it. But at the moment, we we have to we have to make a clear stand about what is the most important yes. thing for us right now. And uh, you mentioned the drivers there; clearly, they'll be as frustrated as uh, as the rest of us with the situation at the moment. Opportunity to quote unquote loan those guys out to to Bentley customer teams. So we we do that in any case. It was already planned. We, you know, this gives maybe a bit more opportunity for that as well. But that was something that was always part of this of the strategy to reduce the the works um, racing this year is to enable us to, to use that. And you know, the guys have been racing with, uh, you know, with teams like KPAX, um, CMR have announced, etc. So we use the guys like that, and they, you know, they really enjoy um, working with the with some of these customer teams. And I think they all also recognise. The, the value to the brand of having having teams who, who you know who want to race with our car and they they can share their you know the, the the learning and experiences from the works team also with those customer teams and enables us to work more as a as a family so yeah the guys are the guys are fully up to that and there's you know there's a little bit more potential for that at the moment as well because of the uh, not participating in intercontinental and yeah we're already in, in some discussion about some some further potentials um, because of that that openness so it can be positive. I just think it's very hard when you, you know, when you've won the first race of the series and then yeah. you have to step back. Let's try and take something positive out of this. Then you're not the only manufacturer racing operation that has had to draw in its horns. Uh, you're not the first. I, I would suggest that uh, throughout this crisis, as it as it continues, uh, and the new look 
of racing, however that might be, you probably won't be the last either. Does this give us an opportunity in endurance sports car racing to take a good, hard, long look Convergence has been a word on everybody's lips for quite a long time with GTE, GT Le Mans as they call it in the States, and GT3. Uh, and, and with the obvious difficulties in supporting worth works racing, both financial and in terms of the optics, is this the time to look at that and, and take a more sincere, shall we say, look at that, a more serious look at that as we go forward? From our perspective, of course, it's, it's something which would be which would be hugely to our advantage if if the GT3 um, class of cars could be used more more widely. And, and our feeling is that as the the financial effect of the of the virus you know, expand, it is highly likely that you will find less people being able to participate in any particular series. You will find um, you know less budget available to to develop cars for various technical requirements so anything you can do to to convert that to make it more possible to get more people on on the grids in 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 championships can only be an advantage from from our perspective of course it's difficult for people who you know have already invested in certain in certain series and to you know to have people withdraw from that and leave only a few is really it's not great and you know we don't like that any more than anybody else does but you know, if you if you think of it from a Bentley perspective, if we had the potential to participate in some in, in some other series using the, the, the technical investment we have made, then that could potentially help those series yes. as well. You know, you do have the risk of trying to divide a, a pie up even more. But yes. I think the bigger risk right now is that people will not have the the capital to be able to to spend money to do lots of different types of things. And so we have to capitalize on what we on what we have and. GT3 is the place where the most people are, where the most brands and the most teams have put investment already. And so this is something that for us is, makes sense to try and uh, to try and gain benefit out of. Bentley, of course, part of VAG, and we know what's happening with other brands there. Uh, is, is this strategy, uh, uh, in terms of your motor racing, is this a Bentley strategy or is it a VAG group-wide strategy? It's a Bentley strategy. We don't have a... a a top-down dictate on what we have to do or we don't have to do. We are, you know, as independent brands in the in the Volkswagen Group, we obviously have the ability to collaborate and we, we we talk to each other and we we share information and you can get benefit out of that. But but we still have to make these choices ourselves as as brands, depending on what is 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 best for us. And as a small and exclusive exclusive brand, you know, we have to be probably the most careful with what we do. You know, in terms of where we put our money and where we put our investment, and um, as well coming from our heritage, the customer racing is just part of what we mm. part of what we, we we are built on, and so we, we want to keep it, keep that as a priority. You and I have talked before about uh, the the prototype world with the WEC and the ACO and IMSA coming together with LMDH. Um, it's a, that's a tough tough time to be launching that new. That new uh, prototype formula right now. Oh, it's, it's it's sad in a way because I think what they have done there to to enable that convergence is exactly the type of thing we were speaking about just now. Exactly the type of of direction and 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 collaboration that we need to enable to enable healthy motorsport and to enable things to go forward. And so to to have something like this thrown in the path of what is or what is a you know very you know well thought and well won uh, agreement is is 
it's difficult to see and it, it just makes it so much harder for those of us who would love to participate in that to be able to to get into that in, the, in these time frames and in this in this current environment it's really uh, difficult when do we next see a bentley in any form customer or otherwise racing what's the plan so far and what are your customer teams telling you let's finish off with something that we can look forward to eh moment we've got teams that are already out on on track doing testing so we've managed to get you know things going right now the i think the first the first event where we have uh customer teams now i think is Mizano coming up in, in a few weeks time of course we've got British gt also coming on close behind that i think at the moment the biggest challenge in there for everybody is, is the travel side you know where can you participate and you know a lot of these events will be starting off in, you know, with, with closed doors and so you know, we're going to have to keep watching that from home a little bit, like we have done with the with the esports at the moment, which is which is hard. I miss that, uh, you know, the smell and the and the feeling and all these other things. And uh, I really look forward to the, the time we can go back there. Thank you very much for joining us. Stay safe up there in crew. Good to know that the wheels are turning in the plant and that Bentleys are rolling out uh, again for road car sales. And pass on our best to the whole team, won't you? I will do. Thank you very much. Great to talk to you. Paul Williams from Bentley there. Now, don't forget, tomorrow night at 9 here on RS1, it's On The Grid, and here's Crailsey to tell us what's on tomorrow's show. This week on The Grid, we talk about alcohol. That's right, you're not hearing things. Our feature interviewee is Wade Oranger, who's behind a new brand called Methanol Moonshine. It's being launched this week. Wade is also the voice of sprint car racing in Speedway in Australia and the USA, so we'll talk some dirt track action as well. Supercars TV boss Nathan Prendergast also joins the show to discuss the success of the Supercars E-Series, the impact it's had on the sport moving forward, and how they're gearing up for racing's return in Sydney later this month. Then, after two weeks mysteriously away, Dale Rogers is back to join myself and Tony Shebeki to break down the racing formats put in place for Supercars return in Sydney in a couple of weeks. It's a great show packed with variety, so make sure you're tuned in to On The Booze, I mean Grid, this Thursday at 9pm on RS1. Drink responsibly, folks. Nick Damon is back with us. <laughs> That's his best Hello. Hi, Nick. I'm back. But it got to be nice when Nathan Prendergast is, Prendergast is on because he's my boss when I work for for uh, at the Liquid Molly Bathurst 12 and to a certain extent, I suppose, um, depending on which channel we go on and who's doing the production, if I ever get back for the uh, for the six hours as well. No uh, six hours this year, of course. Uh, has it been canned altogether? I thought they'd moved it to the international weekend. Oh, have they? To the November weekend. Oh, they must yes. have done, yes. Yeah, I think they've moved it to the international weekend. I, I, I thought I saw something the other day, and I actually had to ask Eve um, if I'd dreamt this. I thought I'd say that the, the Liquid Valley Bathurst 12 hours for next year had already been cancelled, but I can't find that anywhere. No. So it's still. Yeah, they're running it the same weekend as the Supercars, aren't they? Yes, yes. which we talked about on here. I, I, um, at the moment, don't forget Australia, they can't travel between states. At the moment, so whilst pubs and everything else are, are opening up and restaurants, um, Krilzy couldn't go to the next state over if he wanted to work. Um, Which is Bathurst. Uh, it's more than one state over from Krilzy, I would have thought, to Bathurst. No, just across one border. Really? Yep. Just They're a very states. long way. Yeah, just a 15, 16 hour drive or whatever it is. There's only seven. Uh, uh, so, uh, anyway. We're back in the world of Formula One. 
Try again. And uh, why is Valtteri Bottas happy this week? He had to go in the car. Well, that as well. But what else has made him happy? I don't know. He got engaged to his cyclist girlfriend. Mercedes have told him that they're not interested in signing Sebastian Vettel for 2021. They didn't say that. They just said that Sebastian Vettel is currently their fifth choice. Fifth choice? Yes, Lewis, Valtteri, Esteban, George, and then Sebastian. Paul and Ringo. The only problem is that's Toto's choice. If you go to the Mercedes board... The Mercedes board is Lewis Sebastian. Hmm. We've been talking about What do they know Sebast- about Formula One? Well, well, they know about writing a cheque, which is quite important, as you know in Formula One. We, we've been talking about Sebastian going to a, a German brand to end his career for quite some time. Mercedes uh, being the German brand. I, I have no doubt that if he stays in Formula One, he'll end up with a, a team that has a Mercedes engine. Yes, that means he's got three teams to choose from. Being? Four teams next year. Yes, four teams next year. Being? Uh, team up for sale, Williams. Um, team recently sold and renamed and re- refinanced in a very clever backward way in uh, uh, Racing Point. Um, team, we make the engines. We have all the money you really want to drive for us, which is, of course, Mercedes. And team, we've got to cobble this engine in the back of our car, which wasn't designed for it, even though we haven't enough tokens to redesign the chassis. And it's going to be a huge compromise. McLaren are your four teams for next year. But for 2022, there could be another team, couldn't there? Although they seem to be interested in, yes, this new Spanish team uh, that seems to be interested in signing Pascal Wehrlein and uh, Alex Palo. What this is the same? This is the same new Spanish team which Ross Braun has said there'll be no new teams in 2026. Yes, apparently they've had so, uh, many discussions with Formula One and are feeling positive. They can join the the plethora of successful Spanish teams. Yes, like <laughs> HR, Campos. Yeah, I mean, realistically, the, the, Alejandro Ahag. Um, was the person who's mostly behind most of those Spanish teams. He's gone off and been all electric now. So, um, I mean, I'd love to see new teams. Obviously, the 2021 regulations and the budget cap and the, and the start from scratch and the level playing field seems very attractive. But, you know, it's still monumentally difficult to do it um, unless you, you, know, you have a billionaire backing you. You know, the last team to come in success were a half. And got, they, they were doing it in a way where they were effectively two-thirds of a Ferrari and they had a billionaire backing them. So that's the way you need to do it. Uh, what does George Russell think won't change for seven years? Uh, his bad luck after breaking a mirror. <laughs> Very good. Uh, for always driver lineup. What, he thinks he's going to have seven years? Of, of science of and, the and the clerk. Right. Tell, tell George that I am prepared to put well, 10 minutes of his salary, which is 11 years of mine, on that not ha- that not being the case. Yes. The, because there is no way. I mean, I'm sure it lasts two, three, four years. It's going to last seven because people get, people get tired of doing the same thing. Teams get tired of doing the same thing. And you do need to refresh things, actually. After a point, it becomes counterproductive having the same opinions about everything all the time. So, you know, that's what I think. I've got nothing against the two people concerned. 
Now, we mentioned uh, Mugello possibly hosting a Formula One race yep. uh, this year. And as we move on to two wheels, Mugello will not be hosting a round of MotoGP this year. How bizarre. Not in Spain. They uh, right. they, want, they want to uh, take the date back uh, in case someone else wants it. Aragon, Jerez, Harama. Hooray. Hooray, yes, exactly. Circuit Hooray. Yes, uh, Monte Blanco. Where else is it in Spain? Oh, Monte Blanco. Monte Blanco would be great for bikes, on, particularly on the long circuit. They've got a long circuit with a little like mountain section over the back. That would be fantastic for bikes. Where did we go two years ago? John, you and I, near um, Nevada. Nevada. Oh, Nevada, that's a good circuit, yes. That'd be a good bike circuit. It'd be a great bit, bike circuit. It'd be a little bit too small for GT3s. It'd be great for bikes. It'd be fine for TCRs and yeah, yeah. and uh, GT4s, but it, it you couldn't put a big field of GT3s on there. You could do a couple of sprint races. You know, 30-car sprint races would be interesting around there. I would have thought. Yeah, but bike's perfect, yep. So realistically, just saying, they, they can do what they want to just stay in Spain. Mm. Oh, but I mean, they could pop over the massive board to Portugal and do two rounds as well. Yes. Yes. Or more. Yes. Uh, we're going to talk about MotoGP for a bit because the Court of Arbitration for Sport yes. has acknowledged the appeal filed by Andrea Yanone. Uh, against mm-hmm. the FIM International Disciplinary Court decision of the 31st of March, uh, Mr. Yanone seeks to have the challenge decision annulled. And now we're going to move on to the Court of Arbitration of Sport, uh, which registers the appeal filed by the World Anti-Doping Agency against the FIM International Disciplinary Court decision of the 31st of March 2020. Uh, the World Anti-Doping Agency requests that the challenge decision be replaced by a new decision imposing a four-year period of ineligibility on Mr. Yanone. Yeah, don't be careful what you appeal because it can sometimes get worse. Oh, yeah. Sentences could go up as well as down, is what you mean, isn't it? Yeah, they're, they're trying to get four years out, aren't they? Mm. Um, and... Both appeals will be uh, heard by the same panel of arbitrators. So you're not going oh, to get a split decision. Very interesting. Do we have a date for the arbitration? No hearing date has been fixed yet. Uh, well, this is because they are waiting for the filing of written submissions. Yeah, it, it's, it's unfortunate, of course, in that obviously some of the people who do get done for these um, doping offences have actually made a genuine mistake. The problem is that it's because most everyone claims to have made a mistake and 99.9% of them haven't made a mistake and haven't eaten too too sexy meat or anything um you know the kind of <laughs> i'm too sexy kind of for that meat and i can't help feeling that andrea has been very badly advised because wada will always come back and go for the full on you know four year or whatever it is they're, they're led to the law so when, maybe that's so why when he it, has to appeal though because if Regardless of what he does, Wad was still going to go for four years. So for him to try and get it reduced to nothing, maybe it'll stay at 18 months. Very surprised. It'll be, it, uh, what, what it will be is it'll either be nothing, which is like 10% chance, or four years, which is 90% chance. I mean, he has no, nothing to lose, really, does he? Yes, two and a half years of his career. He's only got an 18-month ban, hasn't he? Right, yes, but regardless of whether he appeals, Wada will appeal. So no, by appealing I, himself, yeah, I, he has I, nothing to lose. Yeah. 
No, okay, fair enough, fair enough. That's a good point. Mm. Yeah, all righty. Uh, next. Uh, the British Superbike uh, revised calendar has uh, been announced for today. Oh, has six, been announced today. Events. They've gone down to six events, all triple headers. Uh, mm. And they're not going, in addition to the circuits that we thought that they weren't going to before, and when <laughs> we thought that they were only going to eight events, uh, they've now dropped both Thruxton and Knock Hill from their revised calendar. Yeah, they're doing both layouts of Dono, aren't they? Um, Grand Prix and Club. Oh, both of Brands National. Hatch. National. Yeah. Um, both of Brands and One Park? Each in Alter and Cadwell, is it? Or I don't know, what's the final one? Is it Stenton? Funnily enough, for a championship that's run by Motorsport Vision, they're all going to Motorsport Vision circuits. Do you know what? I actually haven't got an issue with that because if you want to be able to control things um, and know they're going to be done properly, then having them all under the auspices of Jonathan Palmer at his circuits is pretty much be the guarantee you can get in British Motorsport that things will be done properly and to the regulations. So that makes sense to me. It's not the only British Superbike announcement this morning, though. Uh, they have a new television deal. Well, it's just a continuation of the current one, isn't it? Uh, yes. Uh, they will be staying it's... on Eurosport until 2030. Blimey, half past eight? Yeah. Uh, only, if the snooker only if the snooker doesn't overrun, obviously. But doesn't, doesn't Eurosport sort of partially own the championship? Because they've been doing this coverage. They're promoting. For, uh, yeah, no, and more important. It's all MSV. Given... Okay, because they, they give it priority over World Superbikes on the whole. In the UK, they do, yes. Yes. Yeah. But um, I I assume that Eurosport had some sort of. So they're just. They aren't aren't actually a a shareholder in championship. No. Uh, Tom Firth has just tweeted Question on the BSB calendar. Do you think that World Superbike might be joining them at Donington on the Grand Prix layout towards the end of the year? No. As that event has been postponed, not cancelled? No. Because then you've got too many people and too many bikes there. You know, you, you don't want to start filling up your pits with other bikes because then social distancing goes out the window. Mm. Um, it does sound like Donington obviously has a, a, a good way of... I mean, you can, you can bubble Donington because it's near the Eastman's Airport. So there's a couple of hotels you can just book on mass and that's it. And you can just bus people in from very close distances and they haven't got to touch the outside world. So if you're still living in a bubble environment, actually it would work very well. But, um, yeah, I mean, I... I, I, I World Superbike. Have I, actually, have I missed that? World Superbike published a revised calendar yet? I don't think so. I haven't seen one if they have. No. no. They are, of course, a champion. has actually started, of course, remember? And they have a championship and leader after one round. Yes. Remind us uh, what the uh, top three in the championship is at the moment. I can mind you the leader because it's, it's surprising is Alex Lowe, isn't it, surprisingly? Mm. I think uh, Johnny Ray's third, is he? Yeah. Oh. No, he fell off the knee on one. Yeah, it's 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 poor old Johnny Ray has not been leading the championship now for months. What's gone wrong with him? World Superbike at the moment. Alex Laws leads from Scott Redding in second. From Top Rack, Raz Gavrilovu in. Oh, is he third? No. And Jonathan Ray is only fourth. Poor yeah, Johnny Ray. Just... One point well, ahead of Michael yeah. Van der Mark in fifth and Alvaro Bautista in sixth. Johnny fell off. When he fell off. or got punted off in the first in the first race, didn't yeah. he? So. Correct. Yeah, but, but yeah, it's still it's still as it should be. Three out of the top four are Brits. So that's how World Superbike should be. So yes, nothing from um, 
Moto, uh, sorry, from World Superbikes uh, with a confirmed new calendar, only that uh, they will restart at Jerez uh, at the end of July and that there are no dates for Britain or the Netherlands to host their races. Are they going ro- to rotate back around Spain as well? I know it suits Dawn and the TV people, but it's not exactly the same as far as where the teams are based. Doesn't say... Oh, they're going to... Uh, no, they're going to uh, Portugal for their second weekend, which is at uh, Portimao. Okay. Um, and then their third weekend will be at Motorland Aragon. Right. And all three of those will be behind closed doors. But we haven't got dates attached to them Um Yes, yeah, so that's the 31st of July until the 2nd of August for Jerez. 7th to the 9th of August for Portimao and 28th to 30th of August for Motland Aragon and then TBC for Donington Park and TT Circuit Assen. Mm, very interesting. Uh, we're heading rapidly towards the end of the show, but not before we remind you what a busy week we have got ahead of us. We've already told you what's happening on the Toro Radio Show tomorrow night at 8. Crailsy popped up with his drinking trousers on to tell you about on the grid at 9 10.30 UK t- time tomorrow night half past 10 tomorrow night on IMSA Radio RS2 will be the final round of the IMSA iRacing Pro Series join Nick Damon Bob Con- Bob it's the <laughs> first time I've done that Ben Constantiris <laughs> and uh, myself and me to find out who picks up the championship it's between effectively between two bmw drivers can nicky katzberg overhaul bruno spengler will take you through the points possibilities uh, and the hour and a half race we're on the air with the michelin uh, countdown to green at half 10 10 30 uk time tomorrow on rs2 imsa radio then on friday we've got live full metal racing well at least qualifying from five o'clock in the afternoon uk time we will whiz you to the Algarve and bring you sound, vision and live timing from the 24-hour Hankook series. Creventic are back on track. Two qualifying sessions, one for the GTs, one for the TCRs. And then we'll bring you that race, or at least parts of it, live in sound and vision on Saturday with Johnny and Nick kicking things off um, somewhere around about half past 11. Not quite certain of the times the cars will be on the grid yet, but we'll let you know that over the weekend. They'll what go country through. is that in? That's in Portugal. Thank you, Mark. Uh, and that will run till three o'clock on RS3. Uh, the qualifying's on RS1 and on RS3, but we've got it in sound and vision as well. Following that at three o'clock on RS3, it's three o'clock. It must be the football rewind. Declan's looking back at a classic goal of the month competition. Uh, And that is, as I say, at three o'clock. Meanwhile, over on RS1 and also in Sound and Vision on the DNLS page, Bruce and I will be taking you through round six of the digital Nürburgring Langstrecker series, what used to be called the VLN. And then later on on Saturday on RS1 and RS3 and again in Sound and Vision from half seven UK time, it will be Johnny and me taking you through with a bit of darkness running. Are you going to be and part then, of that as well? I'm going to stay. I'm going, no, I'm going to stay, I'm going to stay after my, uh, my, my. I'll give you. I'll give you a few hours of benefit of my of my uh, considerable ability to eat meat. Okay, <laughs> that seems reasonable. That runs Portuguese till midnight UK time. Saturday. 
That runs till midnight in UK time. And then we'll be back with the last three hours of the race from nine o'clock on Sunday morning. All that's live, free, sound and vision. Check the schedule at the bottom of Radio Show, uh, radio-show.co.uk for the audio times, which kind of marry up with when we're in sound and vision as well. 14 hours uh, of the Portimao 24 hour, the Hankook 24 hours of the weekend, plus DNLS, plus IMSA Pro Series. And as we were talking about Bentley tonight, we're going to replay that Inside Bentley Motorsport programme that you heard me talking to Paul Williams uh, about uh, earlier on uh, in the show tonight. Hope you can join the guys for the two magazine shows tomorrow, starting from 8, and then we've got that IMSA Pro Series uh, iRacing final. Have a great weekend. We'll be back the same time next week with episode 24. Normally, we get a break next week because it would be after Le Mans, but it's not, so we won't. See you next week. Oh, no time to explain. The Llama has many hats on this weekend. This programme is a Radio Show Limited production. Tell your friends there's more at RadioLeMond.com.